This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's up, beer lovers? Hey. What's going on? Let's drink some beer. Let's do it. And for us, we were recording this at one in the afternoon. Um, yeah. This will, but you know, when you're only having one, it's really not that big You can deal. have it whenever you want. Yeah. yeah. I, I like to have a beer with lunch on days that I don't have it much going on. Um, yeah. So, meh. Yeah. And, and we saved this podcast for pretty much the end of our recording day. Yeah. We got two more. We're waiting on a resource to arrive in the mail, but yeah. one beer is, we'll be fine. Yeah. So, yeah. So, let's talk about these beers. Go let's ahead. Do it. So, I've had this beer on this podcast before, um, and I always really enjoy everything that I've had from Real Ale. Um, they're Texas-based. That's right. That's uh, right. They're a good beer. Good brewing company. I love to drink beer that's from Texas. I love to support local craft brews. Yeah, um, I love love me some Texas breweries. Yeah. Um, and this is the Oktoberfest. Um, it is the last second to last week in March when this comes out, I think. So I know it's not October and I know Oktoberfest is over, but I like to hoard Oktoberfest when it comes out. Yeah. <laughs> um just because it's just it's my favorite it's my favorite way to drink beer. Yeah. Um fundamentally. So you just love the Oktoberfest lager kind of I, I love the the balance between the malt and the hops. Yeah. Because uh, it's always really well balanced. Yeah. And I am also drinking my favorite beer, which I've had on this podcast uh, at least once, maybe a couple of times. And it's a beer that I also hoard whenever it comes out because it only comes out in seasons, um, which it's about to be April. So we're about to get a new batch. Hey. But it's That's from $40. A, <laughs> yeah, uh, that is true. For it's, a four pack. It's $40 and some change for a four pack. But is the Dogfish Head Brewery's 120-minute IPA, the Imperial India Pale Ale. Um, Dogfish Head uh, does a lot of very popular IPAs, 60-minute, mm -hmm. 90-minute. Um, 120 is just superior, though. The 120 is superior, I think. It's also super rare. It's super expensive because it's super hard to make. Mm -hmm. And they, I think they are... They're in a unique position because they're in Delaware. Right. And so I think the humidity levels and the the temperatures and, and how they ferment yeah. just makes their IPAs different. Yeah. And I just, I love them. Every, all the IPAs I've had from Dogfish Head and I, I don't know, man, like I, I just love it so much. Yeah. They're really good. They're my, they, they are one of my favorite breweries that, that, I predominantly get IPAs from. I really like the Carbock Hopadillo. Yeah. Uh, which that's a local Houston brewery. Shout out Carbock. And I really love the St. Arnold's IPA. Yeah. Uh, the the Art Car. I also really like the Winter IPA a lot. Ooh, I love the Winter IPA. I mean, it IPA. only comes out in beer, seasons, yeah. but like it is fantastic. I love the Winter IPA. I don't, I don't buy it as much anymore. Only strictly because... It exclusively comes in bottles. Yeah. 
And it's hard to recycle. Bottles are so hard for us to recycle glass. So I try to stay away from glass as much as possible. I try to drink as much beer out of cans as possible. Although there is one beer that I reuse the bottles on. Oh, yeah. um, Because it's got these cool like flip top things. Maybe I'll drink one next week. Just, you know, for craps and giggles, right? Yeah. Um, All right. Well, cheers, buddy. Cheers. That is just delicious. That is so good. Full disclosure, I did drink one of these last night, too. So, <laughs> Full disclosure, I did not drink one of these last night. They are expensive, and they are 21% ABV. So, Yeah, that's stout. They are stout. You do, they do not come out very often. Yeah, that's, it's crazy because um, super high ABV on that dogfish head. Yep. But remember when I... Uh, drank that stout the um thank god it's tuesday or whatever oh yeah oh my god 16 percent abv on yeah, that dude. one and i had hardly, and it was a pint it was a pint yeah and i had hardly eaten that day and we um had had dinner beforehand so i had a couple beers with dinner and then i drank that and i was like oh my gosh whoa <laughs> i need to get some food i need to stop. i need to eat yeah. um I need yeah to stop drinking yeah that was that's probably the most y'all have ever seen me inebriated on this podcast. Yeah, well, that's because we don't get inebriated. Yeah, we don't we don't drink for the purpose of getting drunk. No. Now there are occasions where it happens in that situation where you had a couple beers at dinner. Yeah. With food. Yeah. Um, and then you had one beer on this podcast, mm-hmm. and it just so happened to be a really stout and, it and was, a pint. Yeah, it was just and the one that set me over the edge. And when well, you just didn't know. You yeah. didn't know the ABV was that high. No. Well, I went to go look at the ABV, which I didn't shout this ABV out. Um, it's 6%. Um, but on the real, real ale, it's 6%. But, yeah, it's just it's one of those things that happens sometimes, right? Like yep. You don't mean to. It's yeah. an innocent mistake. And you you stopped. Yeah. As soon as you food, realized. Yeah. You got some food, you, you come yeah. back down. I I actually have a funny story. Um, I was having dinner with some friends of mine. Um, one of them actually listens to this podcast. Um, and uh, uh, we were having dinner, and um, he was wanting to get into whiskey. Mm. And so, you know me, like I'm a whiskey nerd. Yep. Um, I put him through this like sort of tasting, like showing him the different styles, the different ways to do it. Right. Um, and uh, we just drank whiskey all night long, but we were sitting down the entire time. And I wasn't pouring like super heavy pours either. Yeah. Um, but the minute you stand I up. I stood up and I was like, whoa, hold on. Yeah. I might have drank too much whiskey. Um, and that just... That happens sometimes. It does. You you really do have to be careful. And I think for me, where where I what I would say, and we need to get off this topic so we can talk about some um, some theology, some theology. But what I would say is, it it does happen, and I don't think the scriptures speak very clearly about not being a drunkard, yeah. a person of being in a habitual state of drunkenness. Yeah. Alcoholism. Um, and they say, they also say, do not consume too much wine. Yeah. Um, and so I do think like we need to be aware of those things, but 
when I put those accidental things in where it's like mm. you're having a good time and you catch it and you go, Oh wait, whoa. Yeah. Like I need to I need to stop. I need to come I back need to down. Drink some water. I need to eat yeah. some food. You know? I, I put it in the same category as where we give permission to people to speed in the cases of emergency yeah. or we give permission to people to lie to their spouse about what they got them for Christmas as yeah. to not ruin the surprise. Like there, the intent is not there. And so I, um, I'm kosher. I'm much more lax there. Yeah. Roast me in the discussion group. If you want, we can have that conversation, but yeah. I don't know that anybody that listens to this podcast would, would disagree. Would disagree. No, uh, it just happens sometimes, It does, but Let's talk about how to earn back grace if you do do that. <laughs> so let's just kind of recap real quick. Um, so we're talking about soteriology. Um, we talked about the Reformed soteriology. Um, we talked about Arminian theology, um, specifically because um, that's really soteriological only, position. Well, but Arminian um, theology is really only a soteriological. It, it really thing. is. Um, and then last week. Um, and was it two weeks worth or was it just one week? Two weeks. Two weeks worth of um, deification um, or theosis, however you or want to talk about it. Or participationist theology. participationist theology. Cullen and Dr. Blackwell worked through that. Um, and we would have been remiss if yep. we didn't talk about the Catholic form of soteriology. Yep. Um, because while... Um, we are not Catholics. Wellhouse right. is not Catholic. Um, we do think that there is some validity to, while we disagree, we're not going to shame Catholics for believing different. Um, and they're still a part of the kingdom. And they are they're still a part still of the Christians. kingdom. And, and it is extremely important to talk about their position because they are probably the biggest piece of the overall church oh not probably by and large yeah like they, they are, are the largest they are the most historic there are more catholics in heaven than anything else yeah because they've been around the longest yeah um, so and you may, may have been raised catholic you may be catholic correct you um may know somebody who is so you need to be informed on this position yeah and i think the other thing i've said it on this podcast before and i say it a lot in other conversations hear me when i say this everybody is reading the bible yeah everybody catholics are reading the bible mm -hmm. Theosis people reading the Bible, Arminians, Calvinists, yep. like we're all reading the Bible. Yep. But it's the manner in which we choose to interpret key texts yep. that have led us to our positions. Yep. And the meta narrative as a whole. How yep. does the, the biblical story fit? It, and so Catholics are also reading the Bible. They are Christians. Yeah. Their soteriology may differ from mine, but it's still a place that they are Christians, they love Jesus, and Jesus is their Savior. Well, the the caveat that I would put on that um, is, one, I would agree that um, while their soteriology is different than mine, they're still Christians. But it would be saying the same thing as while um, Reformed people, they have a different soteriology than me. 
right? But they're still Christians, right? Correct. Like it, just because you add the word Catholic in front doesn't automatically mean that they're not Christian anymore. Um, yeah. Well, I think one of my one of my pet peeves is, and I know somebody listens to this podcast that is guilty of saying this, and I don't I don't mean anything by it personally, but one of my pet peeves is when I hear people say, Protestants say, oh yeah, I think there'll be some Catholics in heaven. Yeah. Like, no, at this rate, they will outnumber you a hundred to one. Yeah, probably. Um, There's so many of them. And I have actually done this. I don't remember if it was on this podcast before or on one of the other ones, but I would like to challenge you if you are a Protestant um, and you refer to Catholics as something different than Christians. Yeah. Um, I don't there know. There are a lot of people who do that. There are a lot of people that do that. Like, oh no, they're not Christian. They're um, they're Catholic. Right. Um, no, they're still. They, they are Christians. They the the word Christian kind of comes from the idea of like Christ, little well, Christ. Well, and let's also not forget that they were the first church. They were the first. They were the church. ones that instituted the word Christian. Like. Yeah. So you got to be real, real careful. You do got to be real careful. So now that we're done talking about that. Given um, the disclaimers, the public service announcements. Yeah, yep. we, we do have to talk about um, Catholic soteriology. We do. And it is, and that is one thing that, w- the reason I wanted to give that disclaimer is because their soteriology is quite different. It is. And as all of them are. Yeah. Theirs is still quite different. I would also like to add on the caveat that um, a lot of their soteriology um, comes from things that are extra canonical sources. Um, And while I would disagree with using that as a, as a basis, um, like, do you? Yeah, it, we have to be careful saying that because right. a lot of our theological norms and basis come from extra extra canonical no, that's sources true. as well. That's true. Um, we mean, have a lot of things that we've adopted in Protestantism that come from patristic theologians mm-hmm. that are not biblical based. No, that's the true. three omnis, right? Omnipresent, omnipowerful, or omnipotent, and um, omniscient, right? Nowhere in the Bible. No, that's They're true. Not canonical. That's true. We've made those up from different texts. I really, I think the only one that you can really get to scripturally is maybe omnipotent, the all powerful piece. Right. I was reading in Ephesians this week um, about that. So, like, you might be able to get there. Right. No, but I, that's all fair. You definitely can't get there with the other ones. Right. Um, or let me say, you got to really stretch it. Yeah. Uh, for sure, that's true. So we we all have things that we've done that are extra canonical. The Catholics would just say the thing that would make Catholics different is that they would say that tradition and scripture are equal footing, if not tradition superior to scripture. No, that's true. That's the piece that makes them different. That Whereas, is, that's very fair. And most Protestants operate according to the thing called the Wesleyan quadrilateral, mm-hmm. which is scripture, reason, experience, and tradition are the four norms or lenses through which we do theology. Right. Nobody would say they're equal. Mm-hmm. Well, 
somewhat. Maybe very few would say they're equal. Yeah. But there's still four norms. Right. Catholics would say the same thing, except tradition outweighs is the most else. important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and once again, this is pints and perspectives. Yep. Right. That is the Catholic perspective. And I mean, something that I always like to say is that it's not. I mean, who knows? Like, they could be right. <laughs> they could be. It's they possible. could be right. Uh, let, let's not forget that for a thousand years, they were the only option. Yeah. And then at the Great Schism in 1054, you get the break between the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. Mm -hmm. And the Orthodox goes off and does their own thing. But they are the longest lasting church. Yeah. And more people have come to faith and experience the kingdom of heaven through the Catholic church than anything else. Yeah. So we went back on to PSAs. <laughs> we did, yeah. So, so Catholic theology or Catholic soteriolo soteriology, things that are unique about them. The way grace is administered is different. Is very unique to Catholic soteriology. And it is also important to note that in in Protestantism, we have this idea of th this like born again kind of language. Mm -hmm. um, Catholics don't have that language. Um, it is a constant, res it's a constant process. Um, yeah. Um, very similar to, it's similar, also different based on how grace is received um, to the, the, uh, uh, sanctification deification piece um, very similar because it's a constant process of sin forgiveness yeah penance yeah so similar in in the idea of process yeah very different because theosis how well well just the ideologically because theosis would say that we as the Christian are uniquely Oh, and intimately and personally, absolutely. I see. Living and experiencing God yeah. and divine likeness. Yeah, Catholics would would say absolutely not. Yeah, you as a lay person have Cannot zero access, access to God. Yeah, and that is where we get the papal authority Correct. piece, right? Um, the idea that that God has given grace down to the Pope and the Pope passes it down through the hierarchy um, until you get to your parish priest. One well, specifically true Catholics would say God gave grace to Peter. He right. gave papal authority to Peter right. and through apostolic succession, yeah. it's been given to the current Pope and he's given it through his authority to his cardinals, priests and bishops. Right. Um, and that is how the process of grace is, you know, worked out. But then you have the the piece of Mary being the mediatrix, um, yeah. the the interceder. Um, yes. So, because the point there is is that the priest has the power to through papal authority through apostolic succession, the priest has the power and authority to absolve you from of sin. Right. He has the power to forgive sins. Now, 
But that still doesn't solve the issue that you yourself have to go through penance. Right. And that is how the priest can say your sins are forgiven. Right. But in order for them to be forgiven, you have to do something. You have to do something. The the that's the meritorious act, right? Right. You have to do something of merit in order to earn your grace. Yeah. And oftentimes, and maybe maybe might I say all the time, it includes at least one Hail Mary. So having experience in the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. um, not always. Would you say majority of the time? Yeah, probably majority okay. of the time, but like I've known priests um, who have told people that their penance is just to keep up with their daily readings. Oh, okay. Interesting. Oh, uh, yeah. must be small sins. Uh, in the in the sin hierarchy, uh, wh- oh no, no, I can't go into that. But no, interesting. Okay, so either way, a lot of times the hail marys are a part of your penance, and the reason that that is is because you, as a layperson, do not have direct access to Jesus. God is uber transcendent in the Catholic Church. Yeah. He is up there, separated, next to impossible for you to access God. Yeah. As such, Mary, as the mother of Jesus, whom Jesus loves deeply, mm-hmm. is your mediator. Yeah. You say your Hail Marys or you pray to Mary because she can then directly ask Jesus she yeah. can intercede on your behalf and and if you're a protestant and you've never read the hail mary i suggest you do it um it's really interesting while you may not agree yeah. i think you should go like read it and look at it um, yeah in there the two the two things that are unique and this is where i will vehemently disagree with anyone who tries to come at me about this in the the discussion board, I'll gladly have the conversation with you. But the two key pieces there is that Mary is full of grace, but she cannot administer grace. She cannot Mm. distribute grace because she mediates. She advocates to Jesus for your grace. She's full of grace in that she's advocating, yeah. not that she can distribute. So we were having this discussion beforehand. That's why he, he decided to bring it up. Um, in my experience, in the expression of Catholicism that I was in, mm-hmm. that was the narrative in the story that I heard. That Mary gives that grace. That Mary distributed it out. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I question that very deeply and wonder if those priests are just slightly misinformed or if that's really how that expression believed. That expression, um, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but so the the expression of um, the Society of St. Pius X, they have their own seminary um, that do something very different. So they might actually just believe They that. might, and I may have misunderstood somehow. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying that this is what I walked away believing that I had heard. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so that that's different. That's not what a true Catholic, right. like a Roman Catholic would believe that 
Mary cannot give grace. Yeah. She is full of grace, yeah. but she cannot give grace. Only the priest, through the power of the Pope, and Jesus himself can give grace. Yeah. Um, so that is a really essential piece to the Catholic soteriology, yeah. is the, the, the Marian piece. Um, yeah. And I... While I disagree, um, there is an initiative. Um, I'm not going to name them specifically. Um, that shame Catholics hardcore, um, and shame the Marian peace. Um, I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah, I I'm not going to do that. Here's the deal. I, while I fundamentally disagree, I'm not going to shame it. Here's the deal. I can't, so I don't allow myself to build doctrines on one-off verses of the scriptures. Right. If I did, I might believe in a rapture. Right. But if I believed in a rapture, I would equally have to do something with 1 Corinthians 15, 28. Mm. where Paul says, if the resurrection didn't matter, what the heck are you doing baptizing people on behalf of the dead? Yeah. And when Paul talks about it, he doesn't condemn them for it. Mm -hmm. In fact, he seems to be affirming them in that action. Yeah. As well as saying, like, you believe in the resurrection because you're doing this, and that's good. Yeah. Like, you believe in the resurrection to... to a new level. Yeah. If For I sure. allowed myself to build theologies on one-off verses, I could see how they, based on that, if I can baptize somebody on behalf of the dead, I can pray to somebody who's already dead. Yeah. I can ask them who's already in fellowship with Jesus to yeah. advocate on my behalf. I see how they can get there. And there's a friend of ours who is Protestant who's actually totally on board with praying to the saints. Or at least last time that I spoke to this person about this, he was totally on board. Interesting. We'll have to talk about that off, yeah, off, off record. Camera. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I would say is, and this is, I'll be honest, I don't have this fully worked out in my own theology. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying. But right, wrong, indifferent, whether you like it or not, Throughout Protestantism, we champion people of faith. Yeah. Abraham, Moses, mm -hmm. David, Isaac, mm -hmm. Jacob, Joseph, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Solomon, Paul, yeah. Peter, you can, John. The list goes on. There are tons of people that we champion. Yep. Notice I didn't say any women. Ooh. Mm, yeah, good point. Hear me, listeners. You don't get Jesus without Mary. Mm. If there were ever a person that we were going to champion outside of Jesus, don't you think Mary should be in the conversation? That'll preach. Oh, dude, you don't even know. It's coming this summer. <laughs> um, I think largely we've, in Protestantism, we've not... Championed Mary, the way that we 
should for sure because she's a woman i think um and i think it's also in response to some the anti-catholic some, thing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. the anti-catholic anything catholic we get rid of yeah and and that's the other thing i would say here that is unique well not totally unique to catholic theology and it's also not specifically tied to the soteriology but that's relics mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even though there's a biblical basis for them yeah what what the heck do you think the ark of the covenant is yeah or absolutely. the or the things inside mm-hmm. that if you mishandle it you die you kill over well and let's also and you, remember um the 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 woman hemorrhaging blood all she did was just touch jesus's cloak oh so te- oh okay so well Technically, that's not a relic. Uh, wait, hold on. Are you sure about that? Yeah, there's a better example for where you're going. Are you sure? Yeah, Acts 19 and Paul's prayer cloth. Oh, well, yeah, but... People what, touch... Paul holds this cloth and prays. Yeah. The The thing that's different about Jesus is he's wearing the cloak. Right, and it like his grace and power radiated right. into it. In Paul's example, he's not holding the cloth anymore. Mm. They're grabbing it and being healed well, that's true. as they that's grab fair. it. It's it's administering some experience of grace and healing outside of Paul's touch. Yeah, yeah. It's a relic. Yeah. As is the Ark of the Covenant and the things in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I do think that that we've we've done this pendulum swing of any anything anti-Catholic is the right thing. Yeah. And what that's lent us to is a place where we don't give Mary the honor that she's deserving of. Mm-hmm. If Abraham and Moses and Jacob and Joseph and Isaac and David and Solomon and Paul and Peter and John and James and all these people are worthy of acknowledgement and honor, then so is Mary. Then so is Mary. If not more so. If not more so. She literally was a virgin that was impregnated by the Holy Spirit and carried Jesus full term, birthed him, raised him, raised him, watched him die on the cross, watched him be tortured. Her son. You need to be real careful when you start talking about Mary. Yeah. And if you start playing down Mary, you got to be real careful. You need to be real careful how you treat Mary. Because also don't think for a second that Jesus doesn't have a special affinity for his earthly mother. Mm-hmm. Think about if you had a good mother, yeah. think about how you feel. Also notice on the cross... Jesus didn't forget about Mary. No. He that's where looked I was going. at his disciples and said, It is your duty yeah. to take care of my mother. Yes. So that will also preach. <laughs> it's coming, bro. It's coming this summer. We're gonna do a whole series this summer on women. The whole series on women, the value of women, their yep. role, like the whole thing. And I promise you. Your role ain't to shut up and make sandwiches, ladies. Mm-mm. I believe in you more than that. You are worth more than that. Amen. But for me, I'm still working it out in my own theology, but that is something. There, there are three things that I really appreciate from Catholicism. 
One of them, I don't agree with where it leads, mm. but I agree with the premise of confession. Yeah. That there's power in our words and confessing our sins. Yeah. Now, in a Catholic, excuse me, pragmatism, confession is the necessary step in order to receive absolution. Right. That's we, not how I want to view it. No. Well, but we, we do need to do something with James talking about yes. confess your sins to your brothers and your sisters. Absolutely. Right? Um, and so, I, but I also believe in the priesthood of all believers, so I right. think I can confess sins to you, you can confess sins to me. That doesn't um, lead to absolution either. Right. We can't absolve sin. Right. Only and, God and can do that. Only God and Jesus can forgive sins. Um, so I, I believe, I appreciate confession from the Catholics. I appreciate the honoring of Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like for us at Wellhouse. Yeah. Um, because I do think if you're going to champion anyone in faith other than Jesus, Mary needs to be championed. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that I appreciate about Catholics is relics. I, I think there's a biblical basis for it. I, I don't see any problem uh, with relics. Well, um, I have a firsthand story about that. Oh, you do. That's do. right. Let Let's with, do this and end with your story. Yeah. yeah. Let me Let me just very quickly tell this story, though, um, because there's a, a an essential piece that I want to come to. When I was living overseas, and you guys have heard me say that that I lived overseas for a while. Oh, uh-huh. Clayton lived in Europe. Uh-huh. He's a cool kid. Ooh. <laughs> uh, um. We kind of traveled around. We saw some different things. And we went to Germany. And uh, there's this uh, village in Germany um, called Kier. And when we were there, um, we went to um, cathedrals all over Europe. Um, that's actually where I took all of my senior graduation photos was in front of cathedrals, cathedrals. all over. Yeah. It's pretty uh, sweet. I'm it, jealous. It's actually pretty cool. Um, so we went to this one that actually had the robe that, um, the soldiers gambled over on Jesus's crucifixion day. Um, yeah, and we walked through, uh, the church, but the, the difference was we had been to so many cathedrals that at this point, like a lot of the art started to look very similar right? and it just felt the very similar all the way through, unless it was like a historical place and you're right. like, Oh man, this is cool, whatever. But I stepped in to this cathedral crossed the threshold, literally entered the door, and there was something different. I could just feel something different. Right. My heart dropped. Yeah. I could feel the presence of the Lord. And typically when people are um, walking through the cathedral um, or through cathedrals, they're loud Right, they're all tourists, unless you are a member of that parish. Like, right. you're all tourists, um, and we all know that tourists aren't the best. Right, um, and so it's loud and it's obnoxious, but there was a reverence in that yeah. building. Yeah, 
just a very sincere quietness. Yeah. Um, and so we walked through, um, and the last thing we did when we were in that cathedral was we went to go see that robe. Mm. And I put my eyes on it, and I had chills from head to toe. Mm. I could feel the presence of the Lord. And there were literally probably 20, 30 people standing, looking at it through this, like, glass door. Right. Mesmerized. Yeah. We were just sitting there, staring at it. That thing touched Jesus. Yeah. And it had power. Yeah. But what I would like to end here with is is just to say, number one, respect perspectives. Amen. Like, they're... There are thing everybody's reading the Bible, and we're all just trying to live out faith in the way that best reflects our convictions and what we experience with the Holy Spirit. The other thing I would say is, if God is the author and sustainer of creation, and when you are touched by Jesus, you are changed, mm-hmm. why wouldn't something that's been touched by Jesus and embodies the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit also reflect the power and saving grace of Jesus.